If you've got your Bibles, you could uh, turn to probably Thessalonians to start with. It's the beginning of September, and if you've been around uh, church life, this church, or any other church in England probably, you probably know that most of the time in, in a September you have some kind of vision casting Sunday. And um, this is the first time I've ever had to do one of those. Uh, so at the beginning of the, um, the summer, I started thinking, what do you do with it? Because it's not part of a, um, a series. Just to let you know, next week we're starting a series in Nehemiah. Uh, but this is, this, that's going to be very good, actually. But um, this isn't part of a series. So I was like, how do you do it? What, you know, you've got to talk about envisioning things, exciting things about what's going on in the church life and all of that kind of stuff. So I thought, what can I do? And first of all, I thought, maybe I should go and listen to a couple of other sermons from other churches and how they do their, their vision Sundays. But I didn't get round to doing that. Then I thought, maybe I'll, I'll buy a book. Um, uh, actually, Oscar knows a book called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. I should have bought that book. Uh, but I didn't get round to it. Uh, anyway, I went, on, um, I went on to Amazon and I found this book. Look at that. It's called Lead, and it's written by a man called John Henry Greenway. He's not here, but I guess if he was here, he'd say, if you want to buy his book, he'll give you a 50% discount. <laughs> They're all thereabouts, you might be able to have. I couldn't buy the book because it's not coming out for another couple of weeks, but I think it, it will be out very soon. So if you want to buy that, I'm sure he'd be very happy. So uh, it's very good. And I like the photo of him in that. It's very nice. Brilliant. Uh, in the end, I decided, instead of going to someone local or going to, to listen to someone famous, I'd go to the ultimate uh, church planters, church leaders, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. And I went, went to them, I, I started reading through some of the books, thinking, how did they cast a vision? In other words, how did they make people see something that will happen in the future and help them work towards that? And, uh, and actually, I've chosen, there was, there's loads of envisioning statements in, in all of the books of, of the New Testament, but I've chosen two that are pretty similar. They're quite long, but what we're going to do is we're going to listen to them, uh, and we're going to ask the question, think about, what, what are they saying that is creating a vision or a picture of the future? And what are they saying that's saying how we, we start living towards that end? or towards that goal, or towards that hope. So that's what we're going to do. I thought because they are quite long bits of scripture, I'd choose two very lovely readers who, who sound really nice that should be on the radio. So can I invite our two read, readers up? I've forgotten they are. Oh, here we go. Susan and Charlotte. Here we go. So we're going we're gonna to start with Charlotte, actually. It will come up, just to let you know, it will come up on the screen, so... If you can read it. So, Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 18. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. 
The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives, us, gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are alive still, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, And with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourself also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. So the vision that Peter and Paul give to the churches they were speaking to is huge. It's a huge vision vision it's a eternal vision it's a glorious vision it's you can't really get more extreme than the vision they give the people in their churches for for Paul he casts a vision of the great day 
I just want to read one of the verses. Verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with a trumpet call from God. Now remember last week when Paul was speaking on Isaiah chapter, uh, chapter 6, he talked about the voice of the archangel and the angels and how when they spoke, the, the, the thresholds and the doorposts shook. Now these guys have been given a trumpet. What kind of noise are they going to make with that? Well, we read about it just after when it says this. After that, the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive will be left caught up with them in a cloud and meet with the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these things. So there, the vision Paul cast, the picture he painted, was a day where we would meet with the risen Lord Jesus and we would see him face to face and we would be with him forever. For Peter, he says this, we want to be living godly lives so that in all things God might be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. In other words, everything we do today is for the eternal glory of the risen Christ, the Lord God Almighty. Isn't that exciting? That's the kind of vision he painted. And so if you look up right now, you can see our lovely ceiling. It's a beautiful ceiling. I'm sure you'd agree. Uh, it needs a bit of uh, mending here and there. Um, but it, it's, it's, it serves a real purpose. It's helpful to us. But I want you to know something. There is, above that ceiling, the most beautiful roof you could imagine. It's got great big bits of timber going from one side to the other. It's cavernous. I know because the other day, me and Pete, do you remember there was that thing dangling down there making loads of noise? Me and Pete had to climb up there. We looked up and it's like, man, it's amazing up there. In the end, if just... If you wanted to know, we managed to get it down with a hooker duck. How many? <laughs> we, we, we got like three poles and a hooker duck and we managed to get it down. But above that ceiling is something far more glorious than what you're looking at right now. Amen. And I want to say this, a church vision is important. It's helpful. It's helpful to be able to say, we want to be a church that is looking to do this or looking to do that because it, it, it's helpful. Like this, it helps keep the, the, the sounds down when Reese is thrashing on the drums and it helps kind of keep the, the, the heat in when, when it's winter and it, it kind of it helps. It's functional. It's good, okay? But it's not as great as what's above it. In the same way, our vision is helpful, to have kind of a, a pithy way of explaining what we want to do as a church. It can really help our prayer life. You know, we've had things like we want to be a large international local church. They're important kind of things to be able to say because we want to be growing as a church because we want to see the kingdom of God come. Sarah was talking a few weeks ago about wanting to be an international church, not just to represent this area, but to represent something of heaven. Isn't it? So we want, you know, having these pithy titles and these kind of vision statements is a helpful thing. But there's something far more grand beyond that. If all the vision was, was that we want to be a great church, that's not good enough. It's not exciting enough. Let me put it in another way. If it was raining, imagine it was just tipping it down with rain. You wouldn't look up and say, thank, thank the Lord for those polystyrene ceiling tiles, would you? 
No, because we'd just be a me- uh, like a sticky mess. Okay, what, what's keeping us dry in here, what's keeping us safe from the elements, is the grand roof above it. And in the same way, our vision as a church is not what rescues us. It's not what saves us. The reason you've got hope is not because you're part of City Hope. It's because you're hidden in Christ. It's the bigger vision. And that's what Peter and that's what Paul were explaining to the people. And actually, it has a massive effect on us because it's not just City Hope that's under that big vision. And so we can thank God, not just for what he's doing in City Hope, but for what he's doing in loads of places. C for T, like the the churches in all all the area around Bermondsey and Rotherhive, we can be thankful to God when they're seeing people saved because they're part of the same grander vision that we are part of. Which is why Paul said, was it Paul that said, um, you, you love each other as well as everyone in Macedonia? Because they've got the bigger vision. It's why we can be thankful when we hear stuff going on in places like Reading or Bedford or Brighton or whatever part of the country. Because we know we're, we're part of the same vision, we're under the same roof as all of those people are. It's why we can be thankful when, when we send someone like Sharo and Lex off, back off to Kurdistan to do their mission. We're part of the same vision. And so we can be excited about it. It's also, if God's put you in this place for today, we can celebrate that you're part of City Hope. But if God calls you to another place in London or another place in a, another city in the world or wherever... We can carry on celebrating. We can send you with joy because we know you're part of the same vision that we're part of. And so the vision that Peter and Paul set wasn't just a local vision. It was a grand one. It had its roots in eternity. And so we want to make sure that we're living with some of that as much as possible in our hearts. So we're not limited to what's going on here at City Hope, but what God is doing across the world and throughout eternity. So they had a big vision, and then they worked it out really simply. And we're going to look at three things that they did. They talked about, they said, listen, don't live life like you used to. Secondly, love one another. Or Peter talks more about serving one another. And thirdly, live in a way that wins the respect of outsiders. And so they're the three things I want to spend some time looking at. So for Paul, he says... It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in the passionate lusts like the pagans who do not know God. The Lord will punish those who commit such sins. And we, as we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live holy lives. Peter puts it like this, you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead." So the first thing they talk about, they've got this great vision, this eternal vision, and they say, so now, first of all, let's not live like we used to. The pagans didn't know God. They didn't know Jesus. 
And so their life was about joy in the moment. It was about satisfaction in the moment. And so they would spend their time going from one thing to the other to do whatever their sinful nature craved. Whatever felt right, whatever impulses kind of, kind of stirred them, that's what they were going for. Because they had a limited understanding of what life was all about. But when you're brought into the family of God, when you're completely transformed by Jesus Christ coming into your life, you now have an eternal vision for your life. And so life isn't about filling, filling up your time with little things that seem to, enjoy, you know, seem to bring happiness and bits of joy. It's about going for something that is going to ring throughout eternity. And that's, that's the kind of uh, vision we need to have. That's the kind of way we live our life. So we change the way we live our life because we want to fill our life up with things that are going to be of value in, in eternity. In eternity, forever and ever. Peter Wood, when he was preaching a couple of weeks ago, talked about, um, he, he, he kind of painted a picture of a house. And as you, as you give your life to Jesus, it's like you're invited into the house of God, but you're in the doorway. And actually, when you're saved, it's, it's, it's like you're brought into the, the kind of doorway, the kind of hallway. And there's so many different places to go and explore. But he was saying so many people, they, they come in and they just spend their, their Christian life in the doorway, get a bit bored, and then off they go again. And he's like, oh, if only you knew the amount of places we can go and explore the glory and the wonder of God. And actually, when you give your life to Jesus, I heard this quote yesterday. Someone, someone was saying, you know, conversion, when you're saved, is not the finale of your Christian faith. It's the kickoff of your Christian faith. And actually, when you give your life to Jesus, you're not just saved from your sin, but you're saved to go into something else. And so we say goodbye to all of that old way of life, and we say hello to what God has got for us. So we don't live like we used to. In, uh, in this book, actually, Creative Minority, this term, we're, we're, we're looking a lot about culture. And um, this book, A Creative Minority, is like, if you wanted a recommended reading list, this would be on it. It's a very short book. It's about uh, 69 pages long. It's very easy to read, um, but I, I definitely recommend, recommend it. John Tyson, A Creative Minority, and he says this, I have to face the reality that my life Sorry, I think I've got it up. I can get it on there. There we go. I have to face the reality that my life looks more like the pagans than God would like. All of us feel this tension. We are dealing with major ethical shifts in our time in history, and we do not know how to think, act, and live in light of them. In order for our faith to have integrity, it must be embodied not only in doctrinal sentiment, uh, statements, but also in action. In other words, we're not just called to believe the gospel in, in our heads or in our hearts or just as a personal thing, but we're called to live it out in the way we live in every single day. So that's what we're called to do. So we're called to uh, not live like we used to. Secondly, we're called to love one another and serve one another. The Thessalonians were good at loving one another. Paul says, I don't need to write to you about it. You've got it. You've, you, you understand love. You're good at loving. And the only command he says gives them, the only encouragement he gives them, is to love each other more. He doesn't say, because you're good at loving each other, now I'm going to give you your next task. Go and do this. 
He says, carry on loving each other, but all the more. Let me just read it. It says, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. At our prayer meeting the other day, we, we looked at the different how many times we're told in the New Testament to love one another and care for one another. And it was something like 58 times. That's, what's, that's what we're commanded to do, to love one another, to care for one another. So it's an important thing. And it's not, it's not just a kind of superficial thing. We can get deeper and deeper at it. Peter suggests that one great way of loving one another is to serve one another with the gifts God's given us. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of, God, stewards of God's grace in the, its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with all the strength God provides, so that in all things God might be praised through Jesus Christ. I love that um, where he says, if, if you're called to teach, do it as if you're teaching the very words of God. And another translation says, the very oracles of God. And actually, if you're, if you're a teacher in City Hope in any kind of capacity, whether it's here or standing up here on a Sunday, or whether it's in a connect group situation, or whether it's to the kids, just think about what you're doing. Is you're, you're, you've got to do it as if it's the very oracles of God. I remember John Stott saying once, someone asked him, I was at an event that he was talking at, and someone said, how long do you spend preparing a sermon? And he said, for every five minutes I speak, I, I probably prepare for about an hour. And he preached for a long time. So, so, so you're talking like 12 hours of preparation for every preach. And this is John Stott with the big brain and everything. And, uh, and actually, we're called to do that. And for me and Paul, actually, part of our job description is to do that, to spend time preparing and so we do that. But I just wanted to thank those of you that kind of, you, you do it so much more on your own bat and in your own time and, and say thank you for doing that because we know that you're putting in the effort, you're putting in the hard work and you're handling the scripture as if it's the very oracles of God. And so we really appreciate that. So thank you. Kids work. It's, he talks about teaching, uh, uh, serving as if uh, you know, serving with all the might that God gives you. And I just want you to imagine for a moment, upstairs, if you, if you don't know the room, it's just a big room, a little bit smaller than this. Upstairs, the kids' work's going on up there. And at the back, there's a row of chairs, lovely mustard chairs. <laughs> probably, probably worth quite a lot, actually. No. Um, and uh, I want you to imagine that you're on the kids' work team right now. And uh, you know, maybe, you're, maybe you're leading part of it or maybe you're sitting with the kids. And I want you to think, if Jesus, the physical Jesus, came into the room and sat down on one of those mustard chairs, would you change the way you, you were serving at that moment? Maybe you'd sit up a little bit more. Maybe you'd be a bit more kind of alert to what's going on. Maybe you'd be a bit more interactive with what's go going on in that room. But actually, do you know, I know we know this in our head. 
where God is with us by his spirit he's here now and so when we serve he's witnessing it all and actually we want to serve as if he's sitting there right there like Stu's sitting there and actually it changes my my attitude to serving actually I'm not going to just try and get away with it I'm doing it unto the glory of Christ and I'm serving my brothers and sisters even though they're so much younger than me I'm serving them with it And so I want to encourage us, whatever area that you're called to serve in, whatever way you're doing it, do it to to the glory of Christ. Because that's that's what's required. And uh, and really practically, I'm going to say some practical things today as well as as kind of uh, everything else. We do not have enough people serving in our kids' work to serve them well enough. So even talking to Taylor, who, ta- who leads up the, the City Kids today, she was saying, Chris, we've really got a problem. We don't have enough leaders. And, and actually, for us as a church to be serving our young people, we need to make sure we've got people serving. And so if, if at the end of this you're thinking, actually, I could serve, I could be part of what's going on up there, I'd love you to come and, and, and uh, there's a sign-up thing over here and um, there's good, we're, I'm going to give you lots of opportunities to sign up today. But um, you can sign up here and then we can get in contact with you and that would be absolutely wonderful. But uh, just, just so we want, we want to be able to do a good job serving them upstairs. We have got kids that have got extra um, educational needs and so we really want to make sure we've got enough people serving in those areas. It's very, very important. So um, that's serving. So there are a couple of kind of things we do on Sundays. But how about um, during the week? Now, our connect communities are very important aspects of church life. And actually, uh, was it Peter or Paul? I can't remember. I think it was Peter that says, you know, um, show hospitality without grumbling. And uh, we haven't got enough. We've got lots of people that want to be part of connect groups, but we don't have enough connect groups or we don't have enough connect group leaders. And so I'd love it. Again, this might tick your kind of, or kind of, tick your kind of character a little bit more. If you think, do you know what? I can show hospitality, then you'd make a great connect group leader. If you think, you know what? I could open up my home or I could arrange for people to meet in a cafe somewhere. And, and I could just be hospitable to them, I can care for them, I can check in on them, I can you know, do some of that stuff, then you could be a connect group leader. And I'd love it if you think I'd like to help out in that way for you to come at the end. And where's is Sarah here? Sarah Harris. Here's Sarah Harris. She's going to help us. Yeah, give her an applause. Yeah. She's, I'm, not, I'm not overcommitting you. But she's going to help us um, kind of get, get that together and make sure that we've got anyone who wants to be in a connect group is in a connect group and anyone who would like to lead a connect group knows how they can get involved in doing that. So, so that's great. And then, so that's, that's good, but they're all kind of things we organise. There's one other type of hospitality I want to go through. And I, I want to talk a little bit about um, us serving people that are single in our church because I was... Um, I was listening to a, 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 a guy called Sam Albury wrote a book about singlehood, being a single person in the church. And um, he, someone asked him uh, at his book launch, how could the church improve serving those that aren't married in the church? And he said, well, a lot of it's to do with hospitality. Because often when we have meals together 
I'm probably talking more white middle class. I don't know. I might, I might be wrong. But you can make your judgment, okay? But often, uh, you, a couple will say, let's have so-and-so over for dinner. And so they'll invite them over for dinner at 8 o'clock on a particular day. Now, the reason it's 8 o'clock is because uh, you can get the kids into bed by 7.30. You can rush around, making everything look clean, put a couple of nice scented candles on, <laughs> and pretend you haven't been arguing for the last 20 minutes. And, uh, and you open the door, oh, come in. That's really what's going on. And... Um, and he said, and that's, that's great, that's, that's a good element of hospitality. But when you invite someone over, don't, it, the easiest thing to do is say, well, I'm a man, I'm a woman, you're a woman. Um, I'll, I'll invite another man and woman over. Okay? But actually, it doesn't take much to invite someone who's single over as well. Uh, and they're going to add to the joy of the time. They're, you're going to have a lot more fun because they're there. And it's just a subtle thing because often it's just the easiest thing to do is to invite another couple. Why not bring someone else as well? And then, you know, we're talking about kind of loving each other all the more. He pushes it out a little bit. He says, okay, it's great, this, this 8 o'clock thing. That's wonderful. That's, that's an element of hospitality. But how about instead of inviting them for a dinner, invite them over for tea which is a slightly less informal thing. The kids might still be awake. They don't have to bring a bottle of wine. It might be a bit more pandemonium. You might be a bit more stressed. The the washing and ironing might not be away. But actually, by doing that, you're not even necessarily doing anything particularly interesting. You're not going to sit around chatting all evening. You might be watching a film. You, You bring some work along with you to finish up or whatever. But what you're doing then, you're not just bringing someone into your house, but you're bringing them into your home, family life. And then he said, if you want to go a little bit further, this isn't me, this is him. Um, <laughs> he said, and you think, you think you've got the right relationship with these people, this person, why not give them a key to your house? Why not give them a key to your house? Because then you, you, you can have to be sensible with this, right? You're not, gonna, you're not just going to say, come whenever you want, because... If you've got a date night, you want to say, don't come on date night. Right? You've, got, you've, got, you've got to be sensible. And, and you've got to work out family dynamics. Is that person, does that work with you? I don't have a, a whole bag full of keys to my house uh, or anything like that. But if there is someone that you think, do you know what? They're part of our family. Actually, giving them a key, it, it symbolizes something. And actually, it just means that they are really part of what's going on. And so that's a kind of development of hospitality. So we're learning how to love one another all the more. There are different ways. That's just one example of how we could love each other more. Um, but I just thought I'd throw it out there for, for your amusement and challenge. So there you go. So don't live as you used to. Love one another and serve one another. Win the respect of outsiders. Paul says, and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life might win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. Peter says in um, chapter 2 of Thessalonians, uh, I I think it's there, where he says, live such good lives among the Gentiles that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good de- deeds and bring honour to God. So that's, that's his version of that. And uh, 
so, so I was reading a book by a guy called Rico Tice. It's called Honest Evangelism. That would be on your recommended list as well. Um, Honest Evangelism. And in it, he talks about some of the recent history of evangelism. And he says, in, between the 1950s and the 1990s, a really effective way of doing evangelism was to get into a conversation with people, invite them to some kind of event that was happening. A Billy Graham crusade. Anyone saved that Billy Graham crusade? Oh, here we go. Look, see? It's quite an effective way. Or some other kind of evangelist. That was probably the most effective way of doing outreach. In the 1990s, people started having other questions like, aren't Christians just weird? Isn't, uh, isn't Christianity not true? Um, and things like that. I think there was three questions. I can't remember all of them. Um, is, it, is it irrelevant, I think was the other one. And, um, and so he said that's where things like Alpha started becoming really helpful because people would ask their questions, think, oh yeah, no, it does hold water, it does make sense, and then they'd give their life to Jesus. So, so, so that going through that process, it might take a little bit longer, but that, that was the key. He said now we're at a stage where, um, and I talked about post-Christian society a little while ago, people don't mind that you've got a faith. They don't mind that you, you love Jesus and you come here on a Sunday, but they don't want you to push that on them. And so Rico Tyus was saying, now the most effective way of doing it is, is to do a bit of both. So you're, you are declaring Jesus, you are talking to them about Jesus, but they are watching your life. And they might not even realize they're watching your life until a couple of years in. And so now evidence says that the, the moment of meeting someone and talking to them about Jesus, and them giving them life to Jesus, instead of it being a couple of weeks, is more like two years. And what it means is, it doesn't matter. the job isn't of Paul or whoever's evangelistic to preach the gospel. It's all of our job, because the way we live is going to demonstrate something to them. And it might be that they, they come to something one day and they, they say, I want to give my life to Jesus. But I can tell you it's because they've observed something in you. And so that's what we need to be making sure we do. That's, that's why we live a quiet life. That's why we live honorably. That's why we show Christ to people day by day. It's, it's small gains, but eventually someone's going to go, I can see. It's not just something, something they say. It's something they, they believe and it's, there's a power in it. Um, let me read this quote from... Can I? From... Uh, this guy here. It says, The most eloquent testimony to the reality of the resurrection is not an empty tomb or a well-orchestrated pageant on Easter Sunday, but rather a group of people whose lives are so radically different, so completely changed from the way the world builds community that there can be no explanation other than something decisive has happened in history. And so the way we live our lives is going to be the greatest demonstration that Jesus is risen from the dead. Amen. One of the things we're going to be starting soon is um, the Gospel Life Sessions. We've got three of them happening um, uh, on these dates here. Wednesday the 8th is... Uh, Wednesday, no. Wednesday the 26th is the first one, so a couple of weeks' time. I'm really looking forward to this because it's basically a time for us to slow down and just think, what does it mean for us to live a gospel life? Yeah, not just preaching the gospel, but live a gospel life. And the first one we're doing is uh, Tim and um, Ruth. I think they're over there somewhere. And I'm not one for hyping something, but 
we did this training with the Connect group leaders a couple of months ago. And I don't remember in the history of, of me being part of City Hope a better bit of training that we've ever done compared to that. I thought it was phenomenal. And I, 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 I'm hoping every single person in this room will get along to it. Come with your connect group. If you're not in a connect group, just come along anyway. We're going to have food. We're going to have conversation. We're going to have a great time together. Um, and we're just going to ask the question, how can, we, how can we create a culture where we're showing the gospel to the world? It's going to be really interesting, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. Just to say, often, if you, if you get a babysitter from, from the church, we often go to the kind of older youth, kind of early 20s age group, I really want those guys to come. So think a bit clever. Um, don't just invite the normal people, because we want them to be here as well. We might try and work out a techie way of, of showing it on Facebook or something like that, but I've got to work out if that's a possibility. But uh, start thinking about that now and make sure you get there. Brilliant. So we want to have a huge vision of this heavenly eternity, face-to-face with Jesus, glory of God, it's not just this little ceiling here, it goes beyond that. It's not just about City Hope, it's about the glory of God. And, uh, and, and we live it out by saying we're not going to live the old way. That we're going to serve one another and we're going to live in a way that demonstrates the glory of Christ to those around. I want to speak to a couple of people um, just to finish. And we will, could the band come up? We're going to sing a song together in a minute. Um, First of all, as we were praying um, this just before the service, um, Stu prayed. Uh, I, I kind of had a, let him know a little bit about what I was talking about, and one of his prayers was, "Thank you, God, that you've got a vision for us." And you know, we've got a vision of this heavenly God, but He had a vision for us that we would be seated with Him in the heavenly places, that we would be taken from our sin and our sickness and our disease. And actually, we would come up and be glorified with him. We would be part of this eternal kind of thing with him. And I want to say, if you're not a Christian, and maybe you've heard the stories of people in debt and, and just lost, and you're thinking, that, that feels like me. Do you know what Jesus says? Give me your life, and in exchange, I will give you life eternal. Amen. It's such a worthwhile exchange, I promise you. <laughs> so if you think, I need to know more about that, Come and, come and speak to me at the end of this. And we've got an alpha course coming up in uh, October, the beginning of October, where you can ask your questions because they're important. And we'd love to talk to you about getting on that. But if you want to exchange that old way of life for this eternal way of life, please come and do that today. Secondly, if you're in this room and you're thinking, do you know what, I don't feel I represent Christ well enough. I am living in the old way of life as much as I am living in the new way of life. I'd love the opportunity for us to be able to pray with you and for you to make a commitment to God and say, from today, I'm putting my all in with you. My new life is coming, it's starting right now. So, so um, we're going to sing a song. What song? You got a plan? Uh, Hello Be Your Name. I thought you said Hello Baby. I was like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> Hello Be Your Name. Um, so we're going we're gonna to sing a song and then afterwards um, I'll invite you all up. Sorry, I just killed the mood. Should we stand together?